You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Okay, we're going to pick it up here with our uh, continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And uh, just noting from Scripture uh, how the apostles and their ministry teams uh, unpacked the command of our Lord to proclaim the gospel to all nations. <clears throat> and so that's, to me, that's, that's valuable in helping us to understand this whole responsibility and dynamics of witnessing because there, there's a lot of good information out there as it pertains to witnessing and declaring the gospel and spreading the gospel communicating the gospel, and there's uh, lots of information, generally speaking, that isn't. Um, and too often, when we want to understand the ministry, any ministry, we tend to, first and foremost, run to a book other than the Bible. And my thought is, let's go to the Bible first and allow that to be our foundation, and then through the grid of Scripture, we can evaluate uh, what's being said in any given book and we can see the value of it in relation to Scripture. But again, uh, the first century believers, um, including the apostles, they unpacked this command and sought to be obedient to the Lord in proclaiming the gospel uh, to the Jew first and to the Gentiles and taking the gospel to the nations. And, you know, they didn't have all the uh, technology and all the means of communication, uh, print uh, and media that, that we have today, yet they seem to be very effective in getting uh, the gospel proclaimed, and they seem to be very effective in seeing the church built by our Lord Jesus Christ through their obedience to the gospel. So I believe that there's something of great value in just going back and looking at the simplicity um, by which these early believers proclaim the gospel. So that's what we're doing as we mar march through Acts and then the epistles, because in the epistles we're going to see how the apostles and uh, those who taught the church, how they uh, in turn taught the church that was established under their ministries uh, how how to do, you know, how to take the gospel to the, the cities uh, that they were in and the cities around them. Uh, and so that will give us further insight, in my estimation, uh, for how we should be doing the, the whole ministry of evangelism today. <clears throat> and so that, I think that's the value of going back to the scripture. So here, here we are in Acts chapter 17. We've been in Berea. Now we're in the city of Athens, as you can see. And uh, Paul is there by himself uh, initially. He's waiting on others from his ministry team to arrive in Athens. And as he was in Athens, he did what he always did. He looked around. He was making observations about what life was like in Athens and what was going on in the interactions. And as he observed, it says his spirit was provoked within him because he saw that the city was given over to idols, which I'm sure he was not surprised by, um, because that was true of every pagan city. But still, it was a grievance to him, because 
he knew the reality of the one true God, and he wanted uh, people to know the one true God. And yet here in this center of intellectualism in the, the Greek world, in the Roman Empire actually, uh, this was the center of intellectualism. This is where philosophy was most valued and where people who uh, wanted to pursue philosophy, this is where they gravitated. This is where you would find the philosophical scholars. You, this is where you would find the cutting-edge ideologies. Uh, and, and so he looked around the city and amidst all of this um, great culture, uh, they were given over to idols. And it just grieved him. And so what does it say? Therefore he what? Reasoned. And he reasoned where? In the synagogue. And where else? Marketplace. And what do you think he reasoned with? Other than his mind and his tongue. What did he use to reason with them, do you think? It's the scriptures. Either, you know, he didn't have a, a Bible like we do, carrying it around. So what he did is he uh, had it memorized. And, uh, and so he would uh, communicate the word of God. But he got them engaged with the truths of God's word. And that's so vital to understand, especially when, you, when we begin to understand the nature of faith. Because faith, as we've seen from Scripture, and as I've defined it, is an informed trust in God. Uh, and how do we trust God? We trust Him through His Word. So we, we know about God, we trust God when we put trust in His Word. And so to trust God's Word is to trust God. And so faith always informs the understanding. Faith always engages the understanding. Faith never bypasses one's understanding because God calls us to trust him in specific and particular ways. And so as he reasoned with them, he was using the word of God to engage their minds with the truth of God's word. And he did it with, in, in two particular areas in Athens, the synagogue, as we've talked about before, that's where the uh, Jewish uh, people would gather, and he knew that there would be an opportunity to, to ex uh, explain the gospel to some extent in that setting. It would just depend on how far they would let him go with the proclamation of Christ from the Old Testament. But then here we see that he also went to the marketplace daily, because that was another place of interaction and communication. There was commerce going on in the marketplace, and the marketplaces typically were built around the temple structures in any given city, and that's where they would do a lot of their commerce and business. Uh, and so the temples, the temple or temples were central to the uh, pagan cultures and to their commerce and to their interaction. And so that's where people went to, to interact. So that's where Paul went to interact. And I don't, I don't know what he did in the marketplace in particular. I don't know if he took some goods and wares and set up a little shop. Maybe he did. He was a tent maker. I know we know from Scripture at times that uh, they would spend some time 
making tents, and they had to sell those to somebody. There had to be some level of communication with someone to uh, and get the business and to sell their, their tents. Um, so that there was some level of communication in regard to that. So I, I don't know what Paul did in the marketplace daily. I, I don't know that he showed up and just kind of stood around and just looked for somebody that might be that he could pull aside and just kind of start talking to. Maybe he did. We're not told. But the point is, he realized that the marketplace is where people went to interact. It was a, a natural point of communication, and people expected to have that some kind of interaction. And, uh, and so these were two natural communication points. And again, it's good for us to just note that and then to begin to think about what are natural communication places and points in our culture to where we can go for the purpose of proclaiming Christ. And, and so just something for us to think about. And so he, he, he went to the marketplace daily and he reasoned with those who had happened to be there. So whoever God had put in the marketplace, he believed in the sovereignty and providence of God. Here I am. God has you here. We've got something to talk about. <laughs> and so he would go from there. Um, and so we see this dynamic on display again. And so now we move to verse 18. Then certain Epicurean who were still in Athens and Stoic philosophers, so here's the intellectual side of the equation, and it wasn't that the others were non-intellectual or non-informed or simplistic. It just means that their focus in life wasn't on philosophy. And they didn't necessarily deal with philosophy or philosophies on the depth and intensity that um, philosophers would. So there were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? So that's, that's an interesting question. It's kind of an insulting question, isn't it? You, you're, they're making a statement about this individual. They, they're, they're saying, this is our assessment of, of what we think about you. By using this word, babbler. And... Uh, and others said, well, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. So we've listened to him, and we don't really comprehend what he's talking about, but we do pick up the idea that he's talking about foreign gods. <clears throat> Obviously, he wasn't talking about gods, plural. He was talking about the true and living God. And why? Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Well, that's interesting. So now we know the content of what Paul did. He preached or proclaimed, so he communicated in the context of these philosophers and others that were gathered there. Um, and he preached to them Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Fascinating. So that, that, that's, that was the summary of it. So there's no indication there that he sought to engage them on the various um, philosophies of the day and begin to use that as a path to try to get to them to talk about Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Christ. 
And we know that as we continue to read. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. And so they wanted to know. That's the mind engaged in understanding. See, as we witness, we want to explain the gospel to people. We want people to understand the gospel. We want to explain the gospel. And that centers around Jesus and the resurrection. People need to know the gospel in order to put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because faith always engages the understanding. And so we want to know this new doctrine, this, this new teaching of which you what? Speak, communicate, talk. And so they, they had at least a superficial interest in what Paul was saying, at least a superficial uh, curiosity in saying, okay, let's see what path, what road this guy takes us down. Let's see where these thoughts go. Because they were accustomed to that. They were accustomed to listening to uh, ideas different than theirs. Not for the purpose of necessarily embracing those ideas, but for the purpose of evaluating those ideas. Paul understood this. He knew that they would be evaluating what he said, and he was comfortable with that. We need to be comfortable with that as well uh, as we talk to others about Christ. To some extent, they're going to be evaluating what we say and who we are. And some of them may say, you're a babbler. <laughs> and others may say, well, I wouldn't call him a babbler because uh, you know, he has some, some interesting things to say. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in listening further. But uh, this group, Paul was referred to as a babbler. In Jewish groups, those who uh, refused to embrace the message of the gospel, they called him what? Blasphemer. Neither one of them are words that, that we would like to have used about us. Um, but it comes with the turf. Paul wasn't called this by everybody, but it, it was part of of the turf, of being a witness of Jesus Christ. You're going to have those who just respond in a negative way. And uh, Paul experienced that too. So I, I, don't, I don't see Paul going, oh, man, I, a babbler. I'm cut to the quick, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> um, it comes with the territory, you move on. In other words, you don't let the reactions of people devastate you. You anticipate that that's part of the turf and you embrace it. Because if they're starting to label you, then that means that, uh, one, they've been listening, and two, they're making an assessment. Their assessment is wrong, but it's just their way of trying to deflect. And so, you know, I, I haven't, to my knowledge been called a babbler unless I've just preached excessively long, and that's been by other Christians, maybe. He just keeps babbling. <laughs> um, but not in a derogatory sense, to my knowledge. Um, or a blasphemer. And so the, just interesting insights just to observe from the text here. So now we uh, Come to chapter 18, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. 
if we went back to uh, to this whole scenario, um, does anyone recall what the response of most, not all, but most of those who are gathered at the Areopagus? You recall the response when Jesus, I mean, when Paul brought up and articulated the reality of the resurrection. Do you recall their response? Verse 32. Someone read that passage. 1732. 1732. They mocked. So there were those who said, they, they mocked him. Sneered. Sneered. Mocked. So that was the response of some of them. And what was the response of some others? In a second. Yeah. Yes. They already had their beliefs. They weren't a blank slate. Right. They had their religions. Mm-hmm. So Probably. So some, yeah. So you, you, those who mocked, that was the response that Dave's alluding to, and but yet there were those among them who said, we want to hear more. And when we understand the working of God in salvation, that God is the one who works within the heart, to draw men to himself, to, to bring them to that point where they begin to sincerely engage the truths of the gospel. Paul knew this. And so he was confident that as he spoke, if there were any there that God was working in and among, that this kind of a response would, would come along with the other. But you see, it's understanding God and understanding the whole nature and work of salvation as we... Um, bear witness of Jesus Christ, uh, that we don't know who God is working in. We don't know the workings of God within the soul of any individual at any given point in time. And it's not our responsibility to know that, nor is it our capability to know that. But it is our call and our responsibility to clearly communicate Christ and the gospel culminating with the resurrection. And, uh, and so that, that was a response to Paul in this setting. In a Jewish setting, there would be those who said, we will hear you again, and others who said, you're a blasphemer. But Paul just continued to communicate the gospel. In other words, we don't let the negative reactions of people deter us, bother us, discourage us, um, and or or, or uh, cause us to to be dispirited. We don't say, "I, I just, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I, I just, I, I just wanted you to hear the gospel, and and I'm sorry." No, Paul didn't say that. He he proclaimed the truth, and um, and those who initially mocked, well, he knew that 
perhaps God in his time would turn them from their mocking and sneering and arrogant uh, attitudes and turn them to Christ. Yes. Areopagus. Okay, that, that was a location there uh, just in Athens, just below the Pantheon. Uh, and and I've had the privilege of being in Athens a couple times. And you take this trek up the hill, pretty good-sized hill, to the Pantheon. And on your way up there is an area uh, that would, people would gather. It's kind of a flattened, flatter area. And uh, they were, that's where they would gather to reason to talk. And so they just called it the, the Areopagus. And so it was just an, an, uh, an area on the way up to the Pantheon in Athens where uh, it was set aside where people would gather and exchange ideas and talk and so forth. Um, it wasn't so much socializing as it was more of an intellectual uh, back and forth on any given matter that they wanted to be talking about. And so that's why they brought him to the Areopag- Areopagus, which was on the ascent to the uh, Pantheon. Okay? And so, you know, there's just fascinating things for us to consider as we think about the whole uh, responsibility we have in the 21st century of being, a w- being witnesses and, uh, and witnessing and how we go about it and how we understand it. Uh, <clears throat> so we come to chapter 18, and uh, in chapter 18, they're in Corinth. And so here again we see the word reasoned. Reasoned. And what that tells me is that the presentation of the gospel, the communication of the gospel, wasn't a quickie. They took their time. They thoroughly explained the scriptures. And they thoroughly explained them to the extent that the hearers would, you know, stay there and listen. And and I think that's, I know that's instructive for us because... In, in America, in 21st century evangelism, it, it seems like it's been more about trying to uh, be with someone and get the gospel thoroughly explained in less than an hour, and many times less than a half hour. And then on the basis of that explanation that's been given, to seek to draw them to a decision um, and, and all of that needs to happen, but we seem to want to condense it into a very shortened period of time. And what this word is telling us is that they engaged the people that were there, and they opened up the scriptures, either by, if they were in a synagogue, the Torah, or if they were out among people, opened it up by quoting scripture and laying the scripture uh, before them in that manner. But they reasoned, they engaged people in their thinking. It wasn't just, all right, I finally got a situation here where I can explain the gospel to to Mark and unload all the information and say, okay, what are you going to do with Jesus? Now, ultimately, they would come to that question because ultimately, in coming to Christ, we do make a decision. I mean, there, there comes a point where we have to 
take the truths of the gospel and you know come to that point where we either trust Christ as Savior or we continue to wrestle with that. But they were not in a hurry. And so they reasoned in the synagogues when? Every Sabbath. How often did the Sabbath roll around? Every seven days, which means this was a process. Every Sabbath. And so however many Sabbaths that incorporated in, in Corinth were not told there. And then they persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Not by the sheer weight, and it's like, all right, now you guys are persuaded because of the sheer weight of our intellectual superiority to your previous beliefs. But they laid out the truths from the Old Testament scriptures and said, this is who Christ is. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these messianic prophecies. And he is the one who in his death on the cross in Jerusalem bore man's sin and in his resurrection uh, rose again to life that we may be able to be justified by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And on him we call upon you to put your faith and trust. And so they persuaded them to, to this, uh, this conclusion. So when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to tell what he knew as a witness. Again, that's typically a legal term. Come into the courtroom, you're a witness, and you're to tell what you know about whatever it is the court is wanting to have information about. Well, this wasn't a courtroom, but the concept is there. Paul testified. He, he told the Jews, he was moved in the Spirit to tell his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Christos, the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, Mashiach. So that's what he testified to. So he had been in the Sabbath, and uh, Silas and Timothy show up, and he's compelled by the Spirit that now's the time to again and in full, um, full force impress upon his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Christ. This is who he is. But when they opposed him, and blasphemed. So that, that was a response of most of the Jews in Corinth. They opposed him. And they blasphemed. So he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. How's that for a loving response to a conclusion of a witnessing scenario? <laughs> Yeah, but really it's a statement of accountability. It's like you realize that this isn't just information. This isn't like the philosophies where if you embrace it, fine. If you don't, fine. This is totally different. This is information that deals with reality, with the living God, the one true God. 
the one true God whom you claim to worship. And he has made himself known. And I have proclaimed him, and I have been proclaiming him, and now I'm bearing full testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And call upon you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And he said, this, this truth is so um, important that if you do not embrace it, as you're indicating, your blood is upon your own heads. You're responsible for what you do regarding Jesus Christ. And there are eternal consequences to this. This, this isn't like picking your favorite sports team and it really doesn't matter which team you pick or the consequences thereof other than bragging rights, you know. Um, this has etern the, the, these truths have eternal consequences. And he's saying God expects you to respond in faith to these truths. God has expectations for you, for all of humanity, to respond to the truths regarding his son, Jesus Christ, to the truths bound up in the gospel, this good news. That's why elsewhere in the book of Acts, we read that um, Paul and, and his ministry team and the others, uh, as they preached, commanded all men. Just dwell on each of those words, commanded. <laughs> kind of leaves out some options there, doesn't it? It, it didn't, he doesn't say suggested. He commanded all men everywhere to what? You may remember that word? Repent. It's like, commanded to repent? Yeah. Because God has provided his son, Jesus Christ, in a full expression of infinite love and grace and mercy, as a full sacrifice for your sins. And God isn't just saying, well, I'm, I'm just trying to give you another option here. And I really, really love you, and I would really, and he does, and I'd really, really like it if you would at least consider the possibility. See, God holds men accountable. And men need to understand that if they res uh, refuse the gospel, then they remain under the condemnation of God. I mean, you read preaching and preachers of the previous century, early in the previous century, which would be the 1900s, and into the 1800s, and you pick up this tone in part of their preaching as it pertained to the gospel, that listen, as you hear the gospel, you have a responsibility to respond to the living God. You have a responsibility to respond in faith to the gospel. And, and you're called upon by God to respond. And if you refuse to, then, then you remain under condemnation. And what lies ahead of you is your just punishment in hell. And, and they did that not because they didn't care about people. They did that because they said those things because they did care about people. And they wanted them to know that this was of no minor consequence 
to refuse the gospel, to refuse Jesus Christ, to treat him as though this is just another uh, option, another set of information that we can choose among several options out there. That he is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. This, this is it. And so we pick up this tone here, which Paul said to his fellow Jews, your blood is upon your own heads. And I'm clean. I'm clean from my responsibility. I have fully explained Christ. I have fully engaged your reason and your understanding with the truths of Scripture concerning Jesus Christ the Messiah. I have not shirked back from my responsibility to communicate these truths. And so then he goes on to say this, and this really, I'm sure, bothered them a lot. From now on, I will go to what? The Gentiles. God's not interested only in the Jews. Understand that, please, my fellow Jews. Which was a big issue for the Jews in, in the first century and subsequent centuries, and to some extent was for some Jews today, that the living God is truly as interested in the Gentiles as he is the Jews. So Paul said, a Jew said, hey, listen, if you guys, this is your response, after all of this truth laid out before you, this is your sincere response, this is your final answer, <laughs> I will go to the Gentiles, obviously in the immediate context of Corinth. I'll go to them with the same truths and proclaim Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because there's a realization that, you know, Paul understood that he is not the one who actually causes men to come to faith in Christ Jesus. We do not cause others to come to faith in Christ Jesus. God causes that. And, and so Paul, you know, he realized that, that he had done all that God had called upon him to do with all sincerity. And that that group of Jews in Corinth were unmoved at that point in time. And so he says, uh, I'm going to focus now my time, my effort on the Gentiles. So he just went on to the next group. So there's no indication that there were any Jews at that point in time in Corinth who responded. That doesn't mean that there weren't subsequently, but at this point in time, zero response. Again, that's instructive. Just because we don't get a, an affirmative response to the gospel doesn't mean that somehow we have failed. Our responsibility is to communicate the gospel. I was wanting to get through Acts this morning. We'll see if we get her done. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next, to, next door to the synagogue. <laughs> So he says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and it just happens to be right next to you. <laughs> so, 
Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, did what? Believed. So God was working. And that became evident when Crispus believed. It wasn't that Paul said, oh, I can can see that Crispus is under conviction. There's going to be some fruit here. It was evident when he believed. And so he believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, what? Hearing, which means that Paul had to, and his ministry team had to do what? Tell them, communicate. Again, keep coming back to that, but that's, that's, that's what it's about. Communication, telling, talking. And so many of them hearing, believed, and were baptized. And that's, as, as we read in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by Word of God. And that's exactly what took place here. They heard the Word of God as it pertained to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And upon hearing it and understanding it, they responded in trust and faith in in Jesus Christ. They believed, and as a result of that, they were baptized, confessing this unique truth that there is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's the uh, baptismal formula uh, revealed in, in Matthew chapter 28, and so they would have followed that. And I believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, come in human flesh, and that he is the only Savior of mankind. And so baptism is about confessing these truths, an open public confession. So this was radical for, for Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, to now publicly state through baptism, I make this new confession. Baptism is about making this public confession, making it known that this is what I truly believe. So baptism didn't contribute to salvation. Baptism was an expression of the salvation that had already occurred, but it was this public profession and uh, confession concerning God and concerning Christ. And so what he, said, what he was saying is, Christmas was saying, I believe there is one God, and this one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Jews of the old, under the Old Covenant wouldn't go that far with that kind of specificity and then to further say that, that uh, Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh. You know, all of that was confessed and expressed at the time of baptism. And so if someone truly believed, then they were willing to express those and confess those truths publicly. And then for the Corinthians who believed in paganism, who came to Christ. From a different angle, they were saying, we don't believe in a multiplicity of gods anymore, in essence. By this confession, we're affirming we believe there's one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't think they said it just like that. That's the way we express it today. But they were affirming that truth that that God uh, exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh, and he's the only Savior of mankind. And so baptism was a profound public confession. And once a person made that, it, it was evident. They, they were saying to everyone, I embrace these truths. I, I do believe in Christ. 
I do believe he is the savior of all men. I do believe these truths about God. And through that, it was a, a, a reorientation in life. And, be, and, and so when people were baptized, that's many times when they received a lot of heavy negative reaction because that was a statement that, hey, we really believe this. We really mean business. We truly confess God. We truly confess Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but do what? Speak and what? Do not be silent. So, why did he say to him, do not be afraid? Threatened? Yeah. Not everybody, but it does happen. Yeah. But, but you know, we, we might, if we have this picture of Paul that he was, I'm, I, I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm not afraid of anybody. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Sometimes we get this super spiritualized idea about Paul and the other apostles that they didn't experience fear, intimidation, and the Lord was about to lead him into another very difficult situation. Not permit him to go, but lead him. Come on, Paul. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. Proclaim Christ. Don't be afraid. Because what you're going to experience is going to be a situation where there's going to be real fear. That's their purpose, is to make you afraid. But do this, speak and do not keep silent. For this reason, I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Fascinating. What, what God says to Paul and his ministry team before they enter into this threatening situation is, listen, I just want you to know I have many people in this city. You don't know who they are. I do. But I have many people in this city. And through the gospel, they will respond to, to me in faith, uh, in Christ Jesus. And so this is Corinth. And he continued there how long? A year and a half. That's a long time for Paul. Doing what? Teaching the word of God among them. So that the many people in this city through the teaching of the Word of God, but come to put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus and come to know the true and living God. A lot of witnessing is teaching. Explaining the truths of the gospel thoroughly, patiently, trusting God to do His work in the lives of those that He chooses to work in. And when we operate with those truths, it, it does give us a confidence, it does give us a strength that, hey, I don't know what's going on in that individual. They, on, outwardly, they may be very full of opposition and the least likely individual, from my perspective, to come to Christ. But I, I don't know what God's doing in there. My responsibility is communicate clearly on behalf of my Lord. Well, we're going to stop there and uh, pick it up, Lord willing, next week.
Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being together and to consider these truths regarding witnessing and being a witness. And Lord, we want to be equipped with these truths. Um, no, they're not a method, but Father, they are realities that we need to understand and embrace um, because of whatever method or methods we use to communicate the gospel, these are the, the realities of it. Uh, we still are engaging people. We're still communicating the gospel. We're still going to have a variety of responses and reactions. We still know that you are the one who works the work of salvation in the souls of men. And Lord, our trust and confidence is in you to yield and bring people to Christ through your working. And, uh, and Lord, part of that working is, is using us to explain uh, the blessed message of the gospel. Thank you for these truths. Help us to contemplate them um, and embrace them as we go from here today and uh, live a life where you have us living life and be that witness where you have us, um, have placed us. So Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.